Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. 2020 has been a year, and it's time for a break. Today where we live, if your holiday will be quieter than usual, we got you. Do you need some recommendations of what to watch, read, even play during the holiday break? Coming up, we talk to Washington Post Gene Park about the year's best video games. And we hear from Vox's book critic, Constance Grady, about the books you should check out, too. Of course, we want to hear what you're playing and reading. You can share your recommendations on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Where We Live. NPR TV critic Eric Deggins joins us now with his recommendations on the best shows to binge watch. Eric, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Again, we want to also hear what you're watching. So you can jo- join us at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Eric, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, we actually asked our staff here at Connecticut Public Radio what they're watching. And uh, we heard from one of our colleagues, Katie Tolarski, who writes The Vow, Heaven's Gate, Raised by Wolves, Lovecraft Country, The Boys, The Outsider, Space force and right now she's watching the west wing for the first time that's quite the list Uh, so where do we begin eric (laughs) well um yeah there's so much to talk about um i I guess i'll start with since i am a sci-fi geek i'm going to start with um the show that blew me away just uh last friday the mandalorian uh on disney plus um, for those who may not know, this is a, a show that's set in the Star Wars universe. It basically takes place after the first three movies of the Star Wars um, uh, universe happened in, in terms of chronology. And um, it takes all of these uh, characters that were in little corners of the Star Wars universe um, uh, and, and, and fleshes out their stories and sort of reinvents the Star Wars genre. And anyone who hasn't seen it uh, or hasn't watched it, uh, maybe past the first uh, season even, which debuted last year, really should take some time and watch it if they have time over the Christmas break. It's it's a it's an amazing example of reinventing um, a, a a a franchise that a lot of fans was afraid had kind of run out of gas uh, with some really bloated and kind of um, uh, disappointing movies recently. So mm. so that's so that's one. The other, another one I'll recommend is more holiday-themed, and that's Jingle Jangle, which is this great uh, musical holiday theme that's on Netflix, and um, it's 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 um, centered on a black cast, um, and it's the story of this inventor uh, who's uh, who's trying to make his way and comes up with this way uh, to invent a really special toy, and it's just it's heartwarming, it's fun. There's a lot of uh, of cool songs in it. It's a musical. Um, I, I really enjoyed watching it, and it's a great thing you can kind of sit down with the family and watch during the mm. holidays. I think we have a clip from Jingle Jangle. Let's hear it. What's wrong, Grandpa? I had a perfect life. Loving family, 
in a magical shop till an old friend took it all. But he didn't get this. Fairly big names uh, in this movie, this black cast. Tell us about uh, who's in Jingle Jangle, Eric. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, Keegan-Michael Key is in it. Um, uh, 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 um, Felicia Rasad's in it. Uh, but I have to say, you know, uh, some of the best performances that I enjoyed were from, uh, you know, kind of un the unknown performers who play some of the, the central characters. Um, it's, it, it, and, it, you know, so often holiday themed movies or specials are, um, you know, overly sentimental or kind of, you know, lacking in some way. Um, they can kind of be thrown together sometimes. This is, is just, it's a visual feast. It's very well put together. The songs are, are, are really wonderful. I mean, they really worked hard at trying to make this a high quality uh, celebration of the holiday spirit that's also centered on a black cast. And, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a rarity in which they really kind of nailed, uh, uh, they were working on all, all cylinders in this one. Mm, Forrest Whitaker also in Jingle Jangle. Again, that's on Netflix. Uh, any old favorites that are available to stream? That's always my biggest complaint when I try to get on <laughs> Netflix or Hulu. And I'm like, what are these movies? Where are the good ones? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, there's the perennial argument, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, right? <laughs> the first Die Hard. It takes place during Christmas. In my heart, it's always going to be uh, a Christmas movie. But that's that's a movie that I love checking out. Um, and and in, in my home, you know, again, a very controversial call. But, uh, but I love uh, the version of How the Grinch um, uh, Stole Christmas that features Jim Carrey, the live action one that was done some time ago. And, and, and again, that's kind of a tradition in our family. We're, we're, we're a little sardonic. We like, we like to, uh, to joke around. And so it's, it, uh, we, we really enjoy uh, watching that film, even though it, it kind of got panned when it, when it uh, originally came out. One of the things that's interesting to me about this holiday season is that on, on Christmas day, we're actually going to see at least three really high profile projects roll out to people on streaming services. So on HBO Max, uh, of course, Wonder Woman 1984 debuts. This is a, a blockbuster film, a sequel to the Wonder Woman franchise that was delayed and delayed and delayed this year because of COVID. And finally, um, you know, Warner Brothers decided they were just going to put it on HBO Max rather than uh, not debut it this year. It'll be in some some theaters, but uh, I, I imagine the bulk of viewers will see it on HBO Max and it drops on Christmas Day. Um, there's also a, a series called Bridgerton that's going to be on Netflix. Um, that is um, Shonda Rhimes, if you remember her. She she created uh, Grey's Anatomy and Scandal. She's a, a pioneering TV producer. And this is her first series for Netflix uh, based on a huge deal that she signed with them. And it's set in London and features a multicultural cast. And it's about a young woman, uh, you know, uh, navigating sort of the waters of high society in London. And then um, uh, finally, um, there's a film called Soul, a Pixar film that debuts on Disney Plus on Christmas Day. And this is another film that was highly anticipated. Uh, Jamie, Jamie Foxx stars in it, it's animated. And it was, again, delayed quite a bit because of COVID. And they're gonna, they're gonna drop it on Christmas Day. And it's a, it's a really affecting story about a, a jazz musician who finally gets his first big break and then he dies. Uh, unexpectedly and and is struggling through the afterlife uh, to get back to this life uh, that he thought was was amazing but that he learns 
uh, really wasn't quite as, as great a life as he as he originally thought. Uh, it's a really affecting, if you've seen Inside Out, that film, mm-hmm. it, it, it touches a lot of the same notes. Uh, and, and it's, a, 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 again, a great family film to see on Christmas Day. We have a clip from Soul from Disney Pixar. Let's take a listen. You're missing out on the joys of life, like uh, pizza. I can't smell. We can't, we can't taste either. All that stuff is in your body. No smell, no taste. Or touch. See? Okay, I get it. <laughs> Again, uh, that is an animated movie. <laughs> That's Jamie Foxx's uh, character <laughs> learning the rules of the afterlife. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh, that folks will have, new stuff that folks will have available on Christmas Day. You're hearing Eric Deggins here on Where We Live. He's NPR's TV critic, giving us some ideas of what to watch over this quiet or holiday break. We want to hear from you, too. 888-720-9677. What are you binge watching uh, at home uh, where you live? Now, you talked about uh, movies coming out on Christmas. I mean, this is traditionally this was a big day for people to go out to the theaters with their family and watch some some big movies. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, because of the pandemic, how how the whole industry has had to, to shift, Eric. Yeah, this has been, um, we've had seismic shifts in the state and the shape of media over this year. And one of the biggest is that, of course, all the lockdowns and the concern about communication of coronavirus has led to movie theaters either being shut down or being greatly reduced in the number of people who can attend them. And so media companies have had to decide, do they push back blockbusters um, you know, film, these films make most of their money in theaters. So, so do they push back release dates and hope um, that, that things recover? Or do they go ahead and put them on their streaming services and hope that the attention that's paid to the streaming service somehow makes up a little bit for the money, the tremendous money that they're going to lose? Also bearing in mind that when you're in a situation like now where we seem to be experiencing another huge wave of infections, do you really want to put a film in theaters, a popular film that will encourage people to gather in, in enclosed spaces? Uh, and so um, Warner Brothers, for example, the, the, the company that uh, created Wonder Woman, they've decided to take all 17 of their films that are going to come out uh, in 2021 next year and they're going to put them on HBO Max on the same day that they have a limited theatrical release in movie theaters. So that, um, you know, no matter where we are with vaccines or, or, or people gathering or lockdowns, uh, people will be able to see these movies at home on streaming, uh, you know, in a, in a more controlled setting. Um, Disney also announced plans to shift some of its movies to streaming, but they pushed back, for example, the Black Widow movie uh, until uh, 2021, hoping that the theater um, scene will have recovered enough that people could actually see it in theaters. And so we will we will see over the next year which of those strategies made the most sense. Uh, but when you're hearing some estimates from people uh, that average folks won't have access to the vaccine until March or April or maybe even the, the middle of the summer, it kind of makes sense that these media companies would shift uh, their big uh, blockbuster films to streaming so that people can at least uh, see them and they can get some uh, benefit from them ra- rather than delaying them to the point where the movie might seem a little irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers is getting some pushback. People in Hollywood are angry with this decision, Eric. Yeah, they're angry. <clears throat> I think they're, well, they're angry for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
uh, a lot of the uh, ways that people get paid, like big stars and big directors and producers get paid, is that they get a part of the revenue from the theatrical run. So if you if you if you release the movie on streaming the same day that it's at theaters, you're 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 almost you're creating a situation where a lot of people will stay home and that that theatrical run may not make a lot of money, and so people may not uh, you know get the 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 amount of money that they were expecting to get, and also. Um, Warner Brothers announced this, uh, or Warner Media, the company that owns Warner Brothers, mm. announced this without consulting uh, with very with with anyone in the movie industry, because they knew that the minute that they let a powerful agency or a powerful star know what they were thinking, uh, the news would leak and, and and they would lose control of the story. So they decided to um, make all of their decisions in-house and then kind of spring it on the world. And so all of these famous directors and stars that they had been doing business with felt like they had been blindsided and, and hadn't really had a chance to give their thoughts on how it could roll out or talk about what it meant for movies that they had that were going to come out the next year. Uh, and and so, uh, and, and, and the movie business is all about relationships. If, if, if stars and directors feel like they can't trust the company that's supposed to release their movies, then the next project they come up with, they may want to take it someplace that, where they feel they'll get more transparency and and um, and consultation. Mm. Again, we want to hear about what you're binge watching at home, 888-720-9677, as we get recommendations from NPR's uh, critic, uh, Eric Deggins. Uh, we're getting a lot of uh, tweets and social media, uh, <laughs> Eric, about p- what people are watching. Bert on Facebook recommends the BBC's great adaptation of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials. And Helder writes, of course, The Mandalorian, rewatching HBO's Watchmen, the community Christmas episodes. And he agrees with you and Christmas classics like Batman Returns, Die Hard, Long Kiss Goodnight, Rare Exports, one of my favorites, Scrooged and the Gremlins. Not everybody wants to be watching holiday flicks this time of year. So can you give us some um, more ideas of some shows? Uh, I think I'd mentioned a Lovecraft Country from HBO. What's that about? Uh, yeah, <clears throat> well, and, and I want to point out His Dark Materials is actually an H, uh, HBO show. So okay. you'll see it on HBO Max. It may air, air on the BBC and Britain. I don't know about that, but but if you want to see it in America, it's on HBO Max and HBO. So uh, Lovecraft Country is also an HBO show, and it's this amazing. It is so complicated; it's hard to explain. But basically, it's set in the 1950s, and it's centered on a black family that becomes part of this huge struggle um, involving sorcery and magic. This this white family, which is sort of the villains is trying to achieve something and they need to use the blood of the 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 uh, lead character the um uh, a, a man from this a black man from this family and in their struggle to get the blood we cover all of this territory it um the the black family is put at the center of horror stories and science fiction stories that we normally see white characters in and so um there's a lot of situations where supernatural characters and supernatural situations are used as allegories for racism. And we see Afrofuturism depicted. We see um, all kinds of uh, sorcery. Uh, at the end of it, <laughs> uh, the, the, it, family legacies, you know, how trauma can be passed down uh, through generations from slavery uh, to, to what was, the, you know, for the story modern times in 1950. There's, there's way too much to, to uh, adequately describe the story because it's just packed with references and material. But I highly recommend that people check it out. 
just know that it is just filled with story. It is filled with with themes and allegories and illusions. And it's also filled with great performances by, um, you know, folks like Journey Smollett, uh, Jonathan Majors, um, uh, Courtney B. Vance. Um, a lot of great actors do a lot of great work uh, in, in this show. I also want to recommend on Amazon, there's a series of five films called Small Acts that was created um, by Steve McQueen, who is the Black British director um, that folks may know. He directed uh, 12 Years a Slave, won an Oscar for that, mm-hmm. uh, also directed Widows. And um, in, in this, he wanted to create a, a suite of films about the Black British experience. So this is about um, Black folks uh, who, who immigrate to, um, to Britain uh, in the 1950s, 1960s, and then have to face just tremendous structural racism, um, you know, oppression from the cops uh, in particular, and figuring out how to, to, to exist in this country that so often uh, acted as if it, it didn't care about them and, and, and was willing to oppress and brutalize them. And you know, there's there's a there's a film about a uh, a restaurant that is a mainstay in the community that struggles to survive as the police unfairly raided again and again. There's a story about the significance of house parties and how they're an expression of black joy and black love. There's a story about uh, a young black man who chooses to become a police officer, and and folks in the community don't understand why he's trying to join a force that so often oppresses them. These are wonderful, wonderful films curated and, and created by uh, Steve McQueen and well worth checking out over the holiday season. You said that was Small Axe on Amazon. Small Axe on Amazon Prime Video. Can we talk about The Queen's Gambit? <laughs> we certainly can. Okay. Another really, that was on my list of, of best right. specials uh, of the year. And, uh, and you know, so this, this is another great film. Uh, about a, uh, a a young woman who becomes a chess prodigy in the 1950s and the 1960s. Um, she she's um, she is uh, left orphaned when her mother um, kills herself early in the series. It's not a spoiler, really. Uh, and and then has to find her way and realizes that she has a talent at chess and begins to and begins to develop that talent. And as she's trying to develop that talent, the men that she defeats. Uh, in, in, in chess tournaments as she's sort of building her skills and, and, and building her reputation, they actually help her get better. And uh, again, this is another show that is that wonderfully touches on uh, sexism and the tenor of the times. And it's a coming of age story as well. And she's also struggling against the addiction. She's addicted uh, to substances. Uh, uh, and she's trying to find herself in this world that again, can often be hostile uh, to women uh, trying, trying to be independent. It, it, it's a really well done um, mm-hmm. uh, show created by uh, Scott Frank, uh, who also I, did uh, Godless. If people remember that Netflix show, I really enjoyed it, and it's too bad it's a limited uh, uh, series, Eric. But in a way, you know, it's it's great to have someone come and make a, a great statement with a mm-hmm. limited series, and that's all they do. You know, sometimes when you try to replicate and replicate and replicate something. Uh, it, it begins to lose its luster. And I would rather have just a wonderful limited series where they tell this complete story than uh, feel like they're going to come back to it and try to talk about it again and maybe not do such a such a great job in the second season. You know, sometimes it's great to just make that statement and put it out there and have people enjoy a complete work. 
Now, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you about Better Call Saul, which came out of Breaking Bad. Uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts are about how this uh, show has continued. I love Better Call Saul. So for people who may not know much about it, um, you know, Breaking Bad was one original story about a high school teacher who becomes a meth dealer. Um, he is along the way. He 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 recruited a, an attorney, an unscrupulous attorney, Saul Goodman, and they decided to do a spinoff series about how Saul Goodman came to be. How did Jimmy McGill, who's the the character's real name, uh, become this unscrupulous, uh, you know, uh, lawyer to to drug dealers? And it, it sounds like that would be a simple. And, 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 and maybe predictable story, but they have figured out how to make a complex, nuanced drama out of this origin story. And again, in, in the way that the Mandalorian uh, went back and explored all these nooks and crannies about Star Wars that maybe the films didn't have time to look at, uh, Better Call Saul goes back and explores the nooks and crannies of areas of uh, the Breaking Bad story that the original series didn't flesh out as much. And so we get to know some of these characters that we were introduced to in, in, uh, in Breaking Bad. We really get to know them <clears throat> in Better Call Saul in ways um, that, that we hadn't before. And they presented some really compelling new characters, too. So if people aren't familiar with Better Call Saul, it's, it's a series that gets better and better every year. It'd be well worth, um, you know, binging the whole thing, you know, starting with the first season and watching all the way through. Uh, until you get to uh, the current season, which I thought was one of the best series on television this past year. Mm. I was uh, really impressed with Ozark season three. Please tell me that uh, it'll be coming back uh, soon. And how are all these companies able to put out uh, new content? I guess they had a lot on the shelves that they've put out uh, during the pandemic. But what happens now, Eric? Well, during the pandemic, what we discovered was that uh, streaming services and high quality cable channels tended to work a little further in advance than uh, broadcast networks. So they had um, a lot of material filmed throughout the year and they were able to uh, assemble, you know, the series that they didn't have finished up, they were able to do post-production and edit them together and things like that from home. They could do it by remote. And, and now production is starting to pick up again. Uh, so, um, so we will see uh, those, those, um, those schedules fill up again. Um, in the case of Ozark, Ozark uh, already announced that they were going to have one more season, their fourth season, and that would be the end. They would resolve uh, the series storyline. But what they're going to do is they're going to break it up into two uh, seasons. And I think they're going to do seven episodes per season. So it'll, it'll, it'll feel like five seasons because they'll, uh, they're going to do, um, I think, 14 or 15 episodes um, total for the final and then break them up into two clumps and release one next year and then release one uh, after that. And, and this is a really great story about um, a family um, that is headed by uh, a character who's an accountant and he seems to be a high level accountant. Turns out he's helped, he was helping to launder money for um, a, uh, a Mexican drug cartel. And then he's forced to move to the Ozarks and help this cartel launder um, you know, many millions of dollars over the next five years and his family gets sucked into it. And, and it's, you know, what does a family uh, wind up doing and what kind of values do they wind up having su to surrender in order to survive in, a, in an environment like this? It's really well done. Jason Bateman plays the patriarch and Laura Lenny plays his wife.
Before we go, Eric, we've had you on uh, before talking about all of these different streaming services and, and which ones to subscribe without uh, you know running up uh, our, our, our monthly bills. Which ones would, do you think people should check out uh, as they think about this new year? Well, I have uh, a story on NPR.org that um, we actually released about a year ago that talks about how to choose a streaming service. And I did an episode of our Life Kit podcast that also talks about that. So I highly recommend uh, going on Google and looking that up to get details. But basically I recommend that you pick one or two uh, huge services that have big libraries like Netflix or Disney Plus, um, you know, maybe Hulu, something like that. You know, a service that has a lot of different series and movies and originals um, so that you can it can fulfill whatever uh, tastes you have. And then, um, you know, it's according to your personal taste. If you're a Star Trek fan, you might want to get CBS All Access because they're doing new episodes of new Star Trek series like Star Trek Discovery. If you're a fan of horror, you might want to get the streaming service Shudder, which specializes in horror. Uh, so find a couple of big services that have a wide range of materials and then maybe find two or three smaller services that specifically target the programming niches that you're interested in. And don't be afraid to sample and change up. You know, we can subscribe to and drop these services usually with the press of a button. It's, it's not as hard as it, as it was to subscribe to, to cable TV, for example. You can usually do it on a browser or on your phone with a couple of button clicks. So, you know, try CBS All Access for a month. If it doesn't seem like your cup of tea, drop it. Pick up something else. Try that for a month or two. If that's not your cup of tea, drop it. Find something else. You know, um, we, we can change our media ecology according to what our needs and our wants are at any given moment. And right now, I feel like consumers have more power than they've ever had. And they really should learn to utilize it, you know, in order to uh, make sure that you're spending your, your streaming dollar wisely. That's Eric Deggins, NPR's TV critic. Thanks so much for your recommendations. And we hope you have a, a good holiday, Eric. Thank you very much. Same to you. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Well, taking a break from COVID news and bringing you recommendations to help you unwind during this quieter holiday break. Coming up, Vox's book critic, Constance Grady, joins us with the best books of 2020. And we want to hear from you. What are you reading? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With the holidays approaching, we're giving you ideas of things to do with your downtime. We just heard from NPR's TV critic Eric Deggins about what to binge watch. But if you're looking for books to add to your reading list, joining us now on Zoom, Constance Grady, book critic for Vox. Hi, Constance. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We're looking forward to talking with you. And if you have a book recommendation, you can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Kathy tweeted, she's reading Disability Visibility Anthology, edited by Alice Wong. Again, let us know uh, what you're reading. Uh, so Constance, uh, you've put out a list of the top books of 2020. Before we get to that, though, tell us about your reading journey during the pandemic. What did it look like? 
Oh, man. Well, like I think a lot of people, I had so much trouble reading when the first lockdown happened. I would sort of sit in my apartment and think, I should be reading. This is my job. What else am I going to do? But I could really only just doom scroll through Twitter, like um, <laughs> like a lot of people yeah. at the time, I think. I spoke to a neuroscientist about this eventually because I just couldn't understand why I couldn't focus on the words. And what he told me was that your brain responds to uncertainty by having a lot of trouble concentrating. And a pandemic like this is one of the most uncertain experiences hopefully any of us will ever live through. Um, so we just responded to it by being like, well, we don't know if we're going to live or die. This is a terrible situation. How can my brain focus long enough to take in words? Um, but Did over time, I started to feel like a book would be actually very nourishing to read, right? Because it's a source of beauty and escape and it can help you understand the world and deal with the world. So once you can work up the emotional and intellectual energy to get into a book, it will make you feel so much better than sitting down and just staring at a screen until you fall asleep. It can help you process what's happening to you and, and move on from it. Did you hear that from readers too, that they were they were having the, the same problem concentrating to get through their books? All the time. I do a little advice column on Vox called Ask a Book Critic, where people write in and ask for recommendations for me. And what basically every single email I got said was, I can't read, I can't figure out what to do, I can't work up the energy for it. So what I always tell people is you have to build up to it slowly over time. Uh, one strategy I think is really helpful is just going back to a book that you loved when you were a teenager because your brain is already kind of trained to just collapse into that space and disappear into it. I spent a lot of time reading Robin McKinley, who writes YA fantasy and was one of my favorite authors when I was 15 and like reading her vampire romance novel set in a coffee shop was just like the best thing that, could, that I could give myself really back in April. That's great advice, uh, Constance. Constance Grady here on Where We Live, book critic for Vlog. She's about to tell us about the great books uh, to pick up, uh, to read during your holiday downtime uh, before 2020 ends. And of course, we want to hear from you too, 888-720-9677. Let's start with Mexican Gothic, which uh, my husband actually brought home for me. He's a librarian and I couldn't put this one down. <laughs> I love Mexican Gothic so much. This is a book by Silvia Moreno Garcia, and it takes place in Mexico in the 50s. Um, and if you've read a Gothic novel, you know that you always have to have like this decaying, luxurious country house. So in this case, uh, it's an old English house in a Mexican mining town that's sort of perched on this peak overlooking the town and just rotting and there's mold growing everywhere and it's very creepy and insular and when you go inside you can only ever speak English. And this beautiful cosmopolitan young Mexico City socialite named Noemi comes to this manor. Uh, her cousin has married into the English family who lives there and she's worried about her. Naomi is worried about her cousin and wants to make sure she's okay. Um, and she ends up getting sucked into all of this dark intrigue and there's mysteries to solve and she's constantly wandering through the, the hallways holding a candelabra, you know, the way you do in gothic novels. Um, it's incredibly compelling and creepy. And what sort of gradually becomes clear is that the thing that is evil in this novel and the thing that is the source of the gothic is colonialism 
And mm-hmm. that's what Noemi has to fight against in the end. Again, that's Mexican Gothic by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Uh, a lot of people are reading A Promised Land by Barack Obama, but there's something that uh, you wanted to recommend. Sometimes you have to lie. The Life and Times of Louise Fitzhugh, renegade author of Harriet the Spy. So talk about this. This is a popular children's detective stories, but also the author is pretty fascinating. Yeah, so Harriet the Spy is one of those books that I think most people read as a kid and like it's a classic you can't not love it harriet is just one of those great characters who's so belligerent and and angry all the time that she really speaks to most kids i think so it turns out in this biography by leslie brody that her author louise fitzhugh lived an amazing life she was the daughter of a southern aristocrat and a jazz babe dancer she traveled to italy to learn how to paint frescoes and then she ends up in Greenwich Village, living as an out lesbian in the 70s. She learns how to write from this pulp novelist who's also the lover of Patricia Highsmith, who wrote Talented Mr. Ripley. She's like running around the village dressed in a Brooks Brothers suit and a cape and combat boots. Like, it is nonstop amazing. She's lived a fantastic life and it just adds so many layers to reading Harriet the Spy and your childhood memories of that and thinking through what makes it great. There's also another book that you recommend, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. This has been on the New York Times bestsellers list for 28 weeks now. Tell us about this. The Vanishing Half is such a beautiful book. Uh, So it came out in the midst of the George Floyd protests, which I think is part of why it got so much attention, because it's very interested in racial dynamics and, and America's history of structural racism. But it's also just a beautiful, beautiful book in its own right. It's by Britt Bennett, who wrote The Mothers a couple of years ago. Um, and the premise of this novel is that it is about identical twin sisters who grow up in a color-struck town. It's an all-Black town, and everyone there has sort of devoted themselves to trying to make their skin as fair as possible. So these twin sisters grow up there and then when they're 16 years old, they run away. One of them goes on to marry the darkest skinned man that she can. And the other one marries a white man and starts passing for white. And so the novel follows these sisters through their lives over um, starting from the 50s and going on up almost to the present day, tracking their descendants and sort of looking at the wildly divergent paths they take. It's incredibly beautifully written. The prose is sort of velvety and luscious. And it sort of functions almost like a fairy tale with all of these weird narrative coincidences and sort of extravagant ideas. It's not a piece of realism. It's a fable. And what it's a fable about is American racism. Again, you can join us as we talk about uh, what books to read uh, before 2020. And uh, my guest, Constance Grady on Zoom, she's book critic for Vox. You can join us 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Matt from Milford called in and then uh, disappeared, but he wanted to recommend The Alphabet House. Do you know that one? Oh, no, I haven't gotten a chance to look at that one. All right. So, Matt, please call back. Tell us about it. Uh, Sarah on Facebook, uh, she read Citizen Outlaw by Charles Barber, and she highly recommends it. And that, I believe, has a, a Connecticut connection. Uh, if you listen to the Colin McEnroe show, he interviewed uh, that author. Uh, we can tweet that in conversation out um, at where we live. So tell us more about some good books to escape in, Constance. 
Oh, man, there's been a lot of really fun fantasy coming out this year. One that I think is great is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. Uh, N.K. Jemisin mm. is the author of the Broken Earth trilogy, which is the only series that ever won three consecutive Hugo Awards in a year or in a row. Sorry, not in a year. Um, and The City Beca We Became is the first volume of her new series, the Great City series. And its premise is that when a city becomes really, really individual and it has its own character, it will actually come to life and be embodied in a single person who's the avatar. So the book begins when New York City comes to life, but then something goes terribly wrong. And the avatar goes into a coma. But because New York City is a, is a city of boroughs, the five boroughs also have their own avatars and they have to come into their powers and come together to try to save the main avatar. It's incredibly fun. It's kind of a romp. And it's also really interesting to read in this year of Lovecraft Country because it's very mm. interested in the legacy of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I think a lot of fantasy right now is sort of dealing with his legacy because he was so influential in the way we think about cosmic horror, but he was also a massively racist man. And the way that he wrote about horror was so informed by his racism that they're very, very hard to separate. A lot of what motivated him was just fear of the racial other. So both Lovecraft Country and City We Became are really interested in critiquing the horror tropes that he developed and putting them in dialogue with the way we talk about race right now. And this one is like incredibly fun as a way to go into that deal. Speaking of sci-fi fantasy, uh, producer Carmen Baskoff uh, uh, recommends Riot Baby. This is by Tochi Onyabuchi, who's a New Haven, Connecticut-based author. Uh, she says very intense, uh, 173 pages. Uh, you, are you familiar with this author, Constance? Oh, I believe I read his short story collection a few years ago. He's great. He writes a very, very terse sentence, and it just punches out at the page at you. You also run the Vox Books Book Club. Tell us about uh, this New Zealand writer, uh, Tamsin Muir, and her book. Oh, Tamsin Muir is such a lovely writer. She is the author of Gideon the Ninth and its sequel, Harrow the Ninth, which uh, are our two current book picks for the winter. The sort of logline for those is that they're about lesbian necromancers in space. Uh, which is such a crowd pleaser, but they're also about so much more. <laughs> she writes this really, really fun, rich prose that's sort of lurid and gothic, and then she'll sort of punch under it with just like a a very, very dirty joke. Um, there's a beautiful love story at the center of it. I cried when I read the first one. She does amazing things with second person point of view, which I think is a very, very hard narrative mode to pull off, but she really makes it work for her. They're very skilled pieces of craftsmanship. The murder mystery at the center of them just is kind of exquisitely controlled. Um, they're, and they're just incredibly fun to read. So I recommend them to anyone who just wants something that will pull you away and make you escape for a while. Yes, definitely yes to that. Constance Grady, book critic for Vox. Thank you so much for coming on with these great recommendations, and we hope you have a safe holiday. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Now, coming up, are you among the three billion humans who play video games? If your answer is yes or no, we've got Gene Park, video game reporter for The Washington Post, coming up next with recommendations on how to start or what to play. What are the best video games of 2020? That's right after the break. 
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Okay, we've gone over what to watch, what to read over the holiday break. But what about games to play? On Zoom with us, Gene Park, video game reporter for The Washington Post. He covers video games and gaming culture. Gene, welcome to the show. Good morning, Lucy. Thanks so much for having me. So let's just jump right in. Uh, what have been some of the best uh, games to come out in 2020 that you'd recommend? Sure. Uh, the Washington Post actually recently picked... Uh, 2020 was an interesting year in that so many video game developers were really struggling to get their product out, uh, whether it was to either finish the game or to even ship it. Uh, but, so 2020 was a real uh, interesting year for in, independent developers who uh, come from small studios. And the Washington Post game of the year called Hades was made by a very small studio only 20 people, uh, super giant games, and they've been working on the game for the last three years. Uh, but uh, Hades is a game about uh, you are Zagreus and you are the son of Hades. And Hades is, is a very ornery, strict father who uh, doesn't want you to leave uh, uh, hell. And uh, you as Zagreus is the rebellious man, young man who wants to leave hell at any cost. And the whole game is your escape from hell. So it's interesting <laughs> that the best game, of, the best game of 2020, is, is forever <laughs> escape from escape from hell under your father's watchful, scornful eye. Um, it's a very humorous game. It's a very uh, romantic game, um, and it's a very violent and fun game too. And I think that's why a lot of critics consider it the best game of the year. Um, what about um? It's just so tight. Uh, the story is very unique, and and the way it tells it is very innovative as well. What about Among Us? Tell us about that game. Among Us is another g game. Uh, when I was talking about independent developers really coming mm -hmm. into their own in 2020, Among Us is the far away, the, the, the biggest star of the year. I think yesterday it was reported that uh, it has about 500 million active users a month, uh, which is incredible. Uh, if you don't know, and if your listeners don't know, Among Us is a very cheap game for the PC or iPhone. It's only about $5. It's a multiplayer game uh, in which you and uh, about a dozen other friends are stuck on a spaceship and two of your friends are actually uh, the invaders or the murderers uh, among them. And uh, while the, the entire crew is going about doing very, very simple menial tasks, tasks that any gamer can understand, any player can understand, uh, two of your friends are, are out to, to, to plan your murder. And the whole game is to try to figure out who the murderers are. So it's a very mystery, uh, whodunit type of game that I think uh, the rules of engagement are so easy to understand. And I think that's what really t uh, uh, helped uh, take the game off. But the game was released in 2018. Okay. And it wasn't until this year and the pandemic that, 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 the, that the game really caught fire. So people who love the Clue board game would love Among Us? Absolutely. It, I think I think as long as you, you're, you're not too concerned about fraying uh, the, the, the trust within your family or your circle, <laughs> uh, I think Among Us is, is a fantastic game to play. And if you just have a smartphone, you should be able to play it. Hmm. Would this be a game that you'd recommend people who aren't uh, are new to, to gaming would, would, would start? Uh, what do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, the controls are so simple. The, the menial tasks I talked about, is very much like, here, take this card and slide it in, or uh, re repeat the numbers that you see on the screen. You know, the, 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 the tasks are meant to be very, very, very uh, uh, 
They're very simple. Uh, and the whole point in the game is really just to figure out who's alive to you. Uh, and I think I think that's that that's a game mechanic that I think anyone can can understand. You think games are more accessible uh, for people uh, these days when we think about uh, the different consoles and, and so that you may need? Obviously, you can use your PC or iPhone, but what would you recommend for the, the gaming novice? That's a great uh, question. And I actually have a story uh, uh, from earlier this summer called So You Want to Be a Gamer, Here's How You Can Start. Mm -hmm. Um, nice. And uh, we basically recommend uh, the Nintendo Switch, which I think uh, uh, a lot of people have been already trying to buy anyways. And it's still, uh, despite the PlayStation 5 and the, the new Xbox coming out, it's still the number one console seller, uh, mostly because of how accessible it is, how Nintendo's games themselves are built to be accessible and built to to expand the gaming audience. So its rules are the rules of Mario games are really about the same as they've always been since, since they were 35 years ago. Um, and that's by design because they want more people to be to be playing games. And I think it's really worked for them. Um, so, but also with on the Xbox side, Microsoft has this program called Xbox Game Pass, which where for only $10 a month, you basically get a Netflix uh, souffle of, of selection of titles that you can play for free. Well, free with the with the subscription fee of ten dollars, but you can download these titles on your PC or your Xbox if you have one, um, and you can just try them all, all out uh, Netflix style uh, to just pick them all apart. Um, so, so that's a, a way that Microsoft has been trying to, to to ease accessibility in terms of of the friction in the retail process. Yeah. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, so tell us, do you want to talk about The Last of Us 2 or Animal Crossing New Horizons? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'll talk about Animal Crossing first because Animal okay. Crossing uh, was uh, really, I think, the, 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 the cultural moment of the year. Uh, it, it's a game that came out one week after lockdown uh, in March. And uh, uh, we decided to, and it was, it was just a game about going outside and hanging with your friends and, and trying to socialize as much as possible. And people replicated birthday parties, weddings, graduations, uh, celebrating cultural uh, uh, holidays uh, within uh, uh, Animal Crossing, and it's really become the, the, uh, the, the I think the second biggest game of the year, only after Call of Duty, which is always typically the, the biggest game of the year. So for Animal Crossing to be as popular as it has been, it's pretty incredible, and, I, and the pandemic definitely helped it. Uh, the Last of Us Part Two is uh, the other game that most considered the best game of the year. And it's not something that I would call uh, something that, that's great for the whole family. Uh, but if you are uh, a family that's able to enjoy uh, some of the more violent HBO prestige shows, uh, The Last of Us Part Two is co-written by uh, a screenwriter for uh, Westworld, uh, Hallie Gross. And it, it stars uh, two powerful women uh, and it's it's a very powerful story that I, I don't I, I don't want to spoil anything for it if anyone hasn't uh, experienced it. But it's also very violent and it, it deals with a lot of very raw emotions. So that's something to consider before you play the game. But it's also really the best story of the year. Right? Well, those are great recommendations. Again, uh, Gene Park is video game reporter for the Washington Post. He and his team have some uh, great articles at the Washington Post that we're going to tweet out at where we live, including if you're a gaming novice, uh, if you're not among the three billion humans who uh, play video games. I was surprised by that statistic, uh, Gene, but thank you so much for coming on, and we hope you, that you have a, a safe and, and good holiday. You too, Lucy. Thanks so much.
Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Where we live is off later this week, but from the whole team here, we hope you have some time to rest and recharge and that you remain healthy too. We'll be back in 2021 with more live conversations where we live.